I am Bo Ellis Breedlove, and this is the June Bug. Welcome to the fifth episode of The June Bug. Last week, Caroline had a very public incident of confusion that resulted in the realization she could no longer conceal her memory issues from her husband. Following that revelation, she and Vincent attended a pivotal doctor's visit that ended in Caroline's abrupt decision she was the only one who could manage her memory loss. It was a decision made, in part, to protect her growing dependence on morphine. This week, Caroline and Vincent, yet again, are faced with a tragedy. One that challenges all Caroline has faith in. I want to take this moment to reiterate, this is based on a true story. So far, our chronicle has been peppered with tragedy and mishap, and it deeply saddens me to say, this is how the final years of Caroline's life unfolded. Details in the story, such as names and places, have been altered or fictionalized to preserve privacy. Episode 5, A Morning Visit Caroline let out a big exhale and nestled into the tufted cushions and array of decorative pillows filling the corner of her floral print loveseat. Beside the reading room love seat sat a diminutive tea table draped with an antique lace tablecloth. The tabletop was cluttered with unopened mail, disheveled pieces of notepaper and post-it notes, a paper-clipped collection of coupons, a coffee mug filled with an assortment of pens and highlighters, a stray rosary, and a small plastic tub with a selection of vitamin and supplement bottles. Caroline retrieved the plastic tub of bottles and began dispensing a palmful of pills ranging in shape, size, and color. Ginkgo biloba, omega-3, ginseng, B12, stress B-complex, and a selection of other bottles labeled with various taglines like 
miracle memory cure, and optimal brain power. Once the various naturopathic treatments were all accounted for, Caroline added another to the mix. Three small blue pills. She swallowed the handful in one gulp with the help of some lukewarm coffee. This morning habit had developed in the year since her last visit with Dr. Jackson. The doctor's office quarrel had only stiffened Caroline's resolve to avoid seeking treatment for her probable dementia diagnosis. Adamant to find her own method of treatment, she had collected this array of supplements recommended by television paid programming and women's magazine columns. All except, of course, the small blue pills. A soft thud interrupted Caroline as she readied to recite her morning rosary. It was the sound of a new heating system Vincent had installed, starting to blow warm air through the vents. Early April mornings are usually damp and cold in Oregon. The pre-dawn fog rises from the Willamette River and cascades across the West Salem neighborhoods. Drifting white haze creeps through fir trees and budding oaks, up the West Hills and down Kingsman Drive. This morning, Vincent had overslept, waking an hour late when Caroline's bedside alarm had sounded. It was an unusual happenstance. Today was Vincent's day to attend adoration, a duty he took quite seriously. Insistent he not rush out the door, Caroline convinced Vincent to wait until she had poured them each a cup of coffee and made a couple slices of toast. You see, she had been mindful since the appointment with Dr. Jackson to prove to herself and her husband that she was improving. This goal was evident in her increasing attempts to recapture the doting qualities she had strived for as a young housewife. Preparing every meal, bringing her husband coffee in bed, diligently manicuring a facade over internal anguish and growing self-hatred. The delay on this morning, though, had proven to be a pleasant one. It set them both about a very happy start to their day. Caroline, in fact, had even gone out on the front porch to blow a kiss to her husband as he backed out of the driveway on his way to church. It was a fond farewell that she had not performed in years. It was all working out so well, Caroline reassured herself. She said she could handle this on her own, and she was doing just that. It would all be fine. She was getting better. Everything was finally coming together. A smile crept across Caroline's face, feeling the warm air drift across the reading room. She considered how grateful she was for her husband. She reflected on how demanding she had been and how turbulent 
the past decade had been for them both. In this moment, Caroline was filled with a deep sense of contentment. She could finally see the horizon of her anger and resentment and felt herself coming near the end of the bad times. As she neared the finish of her first recitation of the rosary, Caroline was yet again distracted by the sound of footsteps. Peering through lace curtains, she saw an unfamiliar vehicle in the driveway. A woman approached the stairs leading to the front door. Caroline recognized the figure. It was her son William's girlfriend of 20 years. Ah, how wonderful. A surprise breakfast date with her son was the first thought that crossed Caroline's mind as she reached for the doorknob. This was just like Will. He was always doing little sweet things for his mother. The two shared a closeness Caroline did not have with her other children. Opening the door, Caroline began to apologize for her disheveled morning appearance, but before she could muster the words, her world was shattered by one simple sentence. He's gone. Caroline stood in bewildered silence. He's... William... is dead. A tingle swept up Caroline's spine. The beads of her rosary glided between her fingers. A rhythmic clattering echoed as the rosary fell to the marble floor. The smile vanished and was replaced by an empty stare. Her face went pale and limp. Her shoulders sank as Caroline felt herself emptying into a hollow shell. All of her senses fled as the words being spoken echoed into empty space. Caroline couldn't focus on what was being said. Her mind suddenly went blank, deserting a reality too horrific to comprehend. She furiously slammed the door in shock and confusion. Suddenly, everything was silent. Still. The warm air had fled and was replaced by the cool briskness of morning fog that had been let in through the open door. The damp cold settled into Caroline's chest as if her body heat had suddenly all but disappeared. In an instant, the world became a dark, frigid, uninhabitable place. Looking down, Caroline saw her hands beginning to tremble. Her knees started to go weak, just as she began to step towards the kitchen phone. She collapsed. 
It is 7.45 a.m. Vincent won't be home from adoration until sometime around 8.40, almost an hour away. He doesn't have a cell phone. Even if he did, Caroline can't bear the thought of making that phone call. On the kitchen floor, Caroline pushes her hands against the white linoleum, sitting upright and sliding herself against the stove. Her green dressing gown pulled under herself, the lace trim at the neck tearing from the strain. The cold handle of the oven flattened white curls against the back of her head. Fleeing reality, Caroline devolved into repetitive movements and thoughts. She rocked, hitting her head rhythmically on the oven door handle. As she did so, she tried to think of how many meals she had cooked in that oven, any thought that could distract her from what was happening. She tried to recall the year she bought the oven, then tried to recall what year it is now. When did I buy that? What was it I bought again? A car, that's right, that's right. I'm trying to remember how many miles I've driven in my new car? Or was it the old car? Why am I on the kitchen floor? Did I drop something? I should get ready. William is picking me up for breakfast. Wait. Caroline closes her eyes tightly and holds the tears back. This can't be real. I'll wait. I'll wait for Vincent. Vincent will know what to do. Tiny beetles emerge from beneath the stove and scamper across the kitchen floor. Caroline doesn't see them watching her from the floorboards. There, alone and frightened, she shook for what seemed an eternity until Vincent returned. Walking up the stairs from the basement, Vincent quickly spied his wife on the kitchen floor. As he approached, he could see her bloodshot eyes looking up at him, the wet streams across her cheekbones, remnants of the previous day's mascara tracing the path of tears. Vincent froze in stunned silence as Caroline shared the news. Sitting on the kitchen floor beside his wife, Vincent comforted her face against his chest and held her tightly. Her body went limp as the grief overwhelmed Caroline. Together, they wept in each other's arms, both silently avoiding making any phone calls for fear if they did, the tragedy would become real. If they could just share this moment privately, then maybe it could go away. Maybe, just maybe, it was a mistake. Maybe 
It was a lie. Are you enjoying the June Bug? Did you know that the June Bug Project is much more than this podcast? As we explore new stories each season, the Junebug website will work in tandem with the podcast to roll out new tutorials and services that aim at broadening our audience's education and awareness based on the narratives we are exploring. If you enjoy this project and want to see it continue, please consider becoming a benefactor or a sponsor of the Junebug Project. Your contributions will help to expand the reach of the Junebug and touch more lives. For more information, visit www.thejunebug.org backslash support. The silver Lexus sped through downtown Portland and onto the ramp for I-5 South. Philip was behind the wheel, his husband in the passenger seat, offering words of comfort and support that only fell on deaf ears. 175 miles away, Margaret hurriedly packed from a vacation, throwing her clothes into a duffel bag, and raced out the door to her SUV as light snowfall fell around her. In a small house in South Salem, Josette locked herself in the bathroom with a syringe, wailing in sorrow as she rolled up her sleeve. In his office, Joseph turned on the closed neon sign and solemnly made his way to his car, pulling a grease-stained paper towel from his pocket to wipe away the tears. They had all heard the terrible news. While some felt anger and disbelief, Philip felt fear, an overwhelming sense of dread. Philip had been the only person, aside from his grandfather, who knew the extent of Caroline's memory loss. In fact, he was the sole individual Caroline had told of that first doctor's appointment and the arguments about treatment she had had with Vincent. The fear and panic Philip sensed was not for the loss of his uncle. Instead, it was for the innate sense that this could be a turning point for his grandmother. This could be a watershed moment from which Caroline would never recover and after which she would never be the same again. Hours passed slowly. The Aubrey clan progressively gathered at the family home. By afternoon, all the closest members of the group were milling about the kitchen and living room, providing comfort in the ways they knew best. Margaret organized a list of people to notify and set about making arrangements for the funeral. Joseph hovered in the background, ready to run any errand, privately thinking of the task at hand, dealing with the family business and what would now become of Aubrey Antique Motors. 
Philip fled to the neighborhood grocer and picked up bouquets of flowers and food for the growing group. Meanwhile, Mr. and Mrs. Aubrey sat together on the paisley sofa William had once helped them move into the house. The memory of that day, moving the sofa together, kept repeating in Vincent's mind. William never had children. That was the thought repeating in Caroline's mind. William's children would never be. She could no longer hold out hope for the eventuality because this was final. He was gone. He would have been a marvelous father. Caroline longed to hold William's child and feel that he were still here in another form. Both incapable of the company of grief, Vincent and Caroline kept about trying to distract themselves, asking after other family members who had yet to appear or call, inquiring about what needed to be done next. Caroline insisted on making a grocery list for dinner. Vincent persisted in questions about the state of the family business. As the house guests shuffled about, Caroline kept her gaze down towards the floor. Beige, cut-pile carpeting, illuminated by the afternoon sunlight. A red stain from when Will once spilled wine on Christmas Eve. The June bug emerges from the pile of the carpeting. Distracted for a moment, Caroline forgets why she is surrounded by family. Briefly, she tries to remember whose birthday it must be and whether or not she has cake ready to serve. Should I run to the store real quick? Caroline asks Vincent. The sensation of her husband squeezing her hand brings Caroline back to reality. She tries to focus on the grief of the day, but her mind keeps slipping away to distant memories. Chores she had neglected, concern about whether to serve dinner on the good china, and so on. Have you pre-ordered your copy of the June Bug novel yet? This book takes a deeper look at the story we are exploring during season one. Caroline, Vincent, and their love story through the trials and tribulations of dementia. Pre-order your copy on our website, www.thejunebug.org. Vincent buttoned the last button on the black dress as Caroline turned to check her appearance in the mirror. Her hair was styled in loose curls of white, her face simply made up in light foundation, mauve lipstick, and matching eyeshadow. A gold chain hangs from her neck with a pearl pendant in the shape of a grape bushel. 
The white of the pearls and gold glistened against the stark background of her black crepe satin, floor-length, boat-neck dress. Are you ready? Vincent asked, noting the funeral at St. Joseph's would be starting in 15 minutes. I need a moment alone. Alone, Caroline scowled at her reflection in the mirror, hating herself deeply for wanting to look presentable at her own son's funeral. In front of her on the dresser was stationed a small figurine of Christ on the cross. It had broken years before, but Vincent had glued the wooden cross back onto its base of sandstone. Draped over the cross hung a purple rosary Caroline brought back from Medjugorje, the very one she had been holding on that horrible morning just a few days prior. Caroline stared at the miniature face of Christ before her and became furious. How could he let this happen? What did she do to deserve his punishment? Wasn't she enough for God? Caroline grabbed the figurine in her left hand, peered closely into the eyes of the man on the cross, and then violently threw the object across the room. The statuette hit the beige wall and splintered into a dozen pieces scattered across the bedroom. Inspired by true stories, the Junebug Project is always looking for inspirational and informative experiences to share. You can share your story on our website, www.thejunebug.org. Vincent quieted the cacophony of thoughts in his mind and steadied his breathing as he approached the second row pew. Bracing himself against the end cap, he bent a knee in genuflection. Raising his head from making the sign of the cross, Vincent briefly glanced to see who else was in attendance. Doing so, he counted himself as the fourth person in the intimate chapel. Ah, a crowd, he thought. Adoration is the practice of worshiping the Eucharist in the Catholic Church. At St. Joseph's Parish, members of the congregation devote themselves to scheduled adoration times. Most come weekly, some less frequently. Caroline has always belonged to the latter association. Vincent, on the other hand, has been coming to adoration weekly since the early 1990s. Every Wednesday, in fact. Since William passed the previous spring, Vincent had felt a stronger need to find answers, comfort, and purpose through his devotion to faith. So, he began coming twice a week. He needed more, so he came three times, 
It's been nearly a year since the death, and now Vincent comes to adoration every single day but Sunday. On Sundays, he attends the 8.30 a.m. Mass. However, he has begun to wince at the thought of attending Mass. It's the people. They all ask him the same questions. How are you holding up? And where's Caroline? How are you holding up? He despises that intrusive prod. People felt the need to constantly remind him of his son's death. It became a constant ripping of the bandage on a deeply emotional wound he preferred to address in private. The inquiries were most often met with his polite vagueness and casual redirecting of the conversation. Occasionally, though, he would simply walk away. When he did engage, it became easier with each exchange. Not a form of healing, per se, but more a numbness to the macabre communal interest in his grief. Where's Caroline? Now that question always hurt a little more than the last time it was asked. It's as if every time someone utters those words, an invisible ocean grows wider between Mr. and Mrs. Aubrey. Where's Caroline? The waves crash and the current pulls them to distant, solitary shores. They had been drifting in separate directions on their paths of mourning in the preceding months. Vincent increasingly found comfort and solace in the church and in his faith. Caroline found doubt. The loss of her boy had racked Caroline with questions of faith, mortality, afterlife, and purpose. She cursed God for what had happened and questioned if there even was a God to be cursed. In contrast to her husband's attendance at adoration, Caroline took refuge in her reading room at the house, away from prying eyes and insensitive interrogations of her sorrow. In her reading room, she would read prayer books, recite the rosary, and weep from frustration when neither eased her suffering. She thought, Maybe this prayer isn't the right one, or maybe this rosary is somehow broken. So she would find a different prayer book and a different rosary. Having again prayed and recited the rosary, she would repeat the ritual, having again found no comfort. Repetition, relentless repetition, always met with the same disappointment and frustration. Mismatched glasses from the kitchen had made their way onto the side table and desk in the reading room. Each were filled with multiple rosaries, totaling upwards of 50 artifacts of failing faith. Beside the array, a plastic tub filled with vitamins and supplements, none of which had been touched in months. 
The lone bookshelf positioned in the corner of the room was crammed with every prayer book and study of the Bible Caroline had found at used bookstores and garage sales since William's death. Atop the bookshelf, a white coffee cup brimming with broken and shattered rosaries, Caroline had ravaged in anger at unanswered prayers. Beside the bookshelf sat a basket littered with torn pages from prayer books, graffitied with scribbled writings and frustrations. She would spend hours every day in that small room of the house, searching for relief from her sorrow. But that relief seemed to slip further and further from her grasp. And with every failed prayer, she grew angrier. Angry at the world. Angry at God. Angry at her rapidly diminishing faith. Her rage at God was unfettered by her decades of devotion and praise. She saw his senseless theft of her son as a curse on her life, condemnation of her unworthiness. Vincent had chosen to turn a blind eye to his wife's increasingly irrational behavior and her ever-accumulating time in the reading room. In the beginning, he would push the ajar door open and invite her out for lunch or a neighborhood walk. But the answer was always the same. I just want to be alone. As the months passed, Caroline began closing the door instead of leaving it ajar. He would knock. She wouldn't answer. Silence befell the two, while music lingered on the radios throughout the household. News was played on the den television relentlessly. Noise to deafen the deepening despair. Over time, Vincent relented to her requests to be alone, and left her as so. He felt that he had failed to be the protecting husband he had always strived to be. The past two decades had been punctuated by traumatic events for which Vincent felt responsible. Even in his son's death, he carried an unbearable weight of guilt and remorse. He hid that burden, though, behind his gestures to attend his wife's needs and his desire to help her find peace. His efforts failed to lessen the ever-deepening despair Caroline experienced. And so, he made more time for adoration, a space where he could find calm away from the bottomless grief, or perhaps it was a safe space where he could embrace the grief and recognize it as his enduring companion. The grief wasn't the only current in the ocean dividing the two. A second current that Vincent still struggled to understand 
had become increasingly apparent. It was a silent influence that had crept into their lives and often left Vincent confused and bewildered by the power it held over his wife's actions. It was the unwavering pull of Caroline's symptoms from dementia. Since the death, her behavior had grown more irrational and cyclical. The hours spent in the reading room, the growing suspicion that nefarious forces were responsible for William's death, the increasing solitude that only deepened her despair. Vincent continued to set aside his grief in an effort to support and comfort his wife, but he couldn't deny that her mental state was rapidly declining. He, too, had noticed the untouched bottles of remedies Caroline had once praised as the answer to her cognitive decline. When William departed, so, too, did Caroline's willingness to preserve her sanity. The television played on. Relentless radio play echoed through empty hallways. The sun rose and set on a house of morbid silence and a fury of white noise. The June Bug is produced by Breedlove Creative Enterprises. Original music composed by Bo Ellis Breedlove. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can also help support this podcast and the June Bug Project by becoming a supporting member on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com backslash the June Bug. Thank you for listening. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Stay tuned for the next installment of The June Bug.